The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? For those of you watching on Peacock TV... You know what's coming because you're watching on TV and you saw one set of feeds. You didn't see Michael Smith. So something must be going on. Yes, I'm doing the show by myself today. And if you were a cynic, if you were a cynic, because we missed you yesterday too, and we really did miss you. If you were a cynic, you might say something like, huh, Michael Smith missed yesterday and today because he doesn't want to answer for his outrageous takes about the Milwaukee Bucks and Brooklyn Nets. Now, that's not accurate, but if you want to go ahead and say that, I won't stop you because it's all family. We're just having a good time. But in all seriousness, uh, Michael will be back on Monday. I'm going to do the show by myself today. We're going to have a good time. So much to talk about. I will, trust me, I will talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and Brooklyn Nets and Philadelphia 76ers. That's a little bit later. We'll talk some NFL a little bit later. But right now, I'm going to tell you guys, let's put it this way. There are two kinds of people. There are people who will tell you, who go out of their way to tell you when they are right. When they got something right, they will go back. They may go back 10 years. They'll go back 20 years just so they can let you know that they got something right. Then there are people with a little bit of humility who will go out of their way to say, I got that wrong. That's my bad. Yes, I'm accountable. Now, where do I fall? I'm a little bit of both. Honestly, I'm a little bit of both. So I can start off with telling you what I got right, or I could be a grown-up and tell you where I was wrong. Um, maybe I'll start off by telling you where I was wrong. And before we get to it, before we get to it, I'm going to play you some sound. We're going we're gonna to see some pictures. I'm going to see some pictures just so I can drill home that point of how I really misread a situation. Now, I told you guys, I made this whole connection between dance, excellent dance, Bill T. Jones, Alvin Ailey. I told you about my, my dance days at Point Park College. I wasn't a dance major, but it was a dance school. Remember that? I told you I was listening to Keith Sweat and Anita Baker. What I didn't tell you, what I didn't tell you, since now I'm in a confession mood, I didn't tell you that I used to know Rapture. You know that Anita Baker album? I used to know it. Start to finish middle to front, middle to end. You just drop a lyric on, you drop a, a, a name that tune, you just drop on a couple of, of notes, and I had it. You know, same old love, used to break up the makeup, all the fun we had and those love, you know, you know all that stuff. Anyway, I, I won't tell you, but I know it, I know it. If you just start, if you put it on, I, could, I know every lyric on that album, Rapture. I probably shouldn't admit that publicly, but we're family, so we can talk. But anyway, I was telling you, how the L.A. Dodgers were the pinnacle of Major League Baseball, and they do everything right, and they got great players and great management, and they just know how to win. They got winning DNA. 
And they, beat the Dodge, uh, they beat the Giants in a memorable game five on a check swing. I kind of dismissed the Giants even though they won 107 games. Uh, so when they got by the Giants, you know I wasn't thinking about the Atlanta Braves. You think I thought the Atlanta Braves had something for the Dodgers? I got it wrong, and I got it wrong in a big way. Let's check it out. Well, that's not how you uh, draw it up, um, but it's a very, uh, we have a very resilient team, a very tough team, and um, it's not going to get much tougher than facing Max Fried in an elimination game, but we've done it before. Um, like I said, you know, we got to win tomorrow, and I, I really believe we're equipped to win tomorrow's ball game. The Dodgers have won, I think, six straight elimination games going back to last year, and even this game a long time. What makes the closeout situation just so hard? It is hard. I mean, as we saw last year, winning a game is hard, um, especially a veteran team like this that we're playing. And, and um, number one, it's hard to win here. Um, number two, it's hard to win a major league game. And um, But I, I feel good about our club just from what we experienced last year and where these guys are. Flashbacks of the times we've had. Some made us laugh, some made us sad. Oh, don't get me started on same old love. And see, I, I got to tell you this. The reason I bring that up, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I, I feel like if you're going to listen to us, if you're going to spend time checking us out on Sirius uh, Channel 211 or, or and soon to be uh, Sirius Channel 85. Is it 85 now? I don't know if we switched to 85. It could be 85. But if you're going to uh, take time to listen to us, if you're going to take time to watch us on Peacock and on YouTube and listen to our podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts, I feel like the people that you're taking time, and you're investing your time in, I think I feel like we need to be honest about why we have the opinions that we have. That's going to be a theme for me today. I'm going to tell you why I feel the way I feel about a number of things. And I, I, I got this. This is this doesn't make me look good, but I'm just going to tell you, you know, the reason one of the reasons I didn't really pay attention to the Atlanta Braves in this series, beyond the fact that the Dodgers won almost 20 more games in the regular season than the, than the, uh, than the Braves, the reason I didn't pay attention to the Braves, and this is petty, but I never really believe in Atlanta sports teams. I said it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I, who believes, who outside of Georgia really puts their faith in Atlanta sports team. Who in Georgia puts their faith in Atlanta sports team? Can we be real? You want to talk about the Braves if they win, and I got to tell you, I think they're going to win. Um, if they win the pennant, it'll be the first pennant they've won in like 22 years. They won, I think, you know, fact check me on this. I think they won 30 straight division titles. I'm being sarcastic, right? But they won a, a bunch of division titles in the old school NL East. One World Series title. One World, one World Series title to show for it. So that's the Braves. Like you just got used to them getting to the playoffs, being on the brink of something great, and then falling apart. But that was, that's not it for Atlanta. So I had that in my mind about the Braves. Had this in mind about the Atlanta Hawks. Never been to the NBA Finals. Never. Some of the most entertaining teams in the 1980s and early 1990s, a human highlight film, Dominique Wilkins, great. 
got Moses Malone too late uh, in his career. I mean, just entertaining teams, some entertaining players. Last year, thought they'd be able to get to the NBA Finals. Trey Young, great young player, couldn't do it. So that's the that's the Hawks. And do we need to talk about the Falcons? Do we need to talk about the Atlanta Falcons? I mean, not just one, but two of the most embarrassing Super Bowl games slash incidents in the history of the game. Now we'll get to 28 to 3 in a second, but y'all remember Eugene Robinson. Now this is this one I take very personally. Because I tell you, I'm a Christian. I take it seriously. I try to live the right way. I'm not perfect. As the song says, God is not through to me, through with me yet. I'm not who I'm going to be. I'm not who I used to be. I'm working through it. I'm in process. Okay, Eugene Robinson, Atlanta defensive back, gets the Man of the Year award right before the Super Bowl, day before the Super Bowl. Man of the Year. Strong Christian. Oh, man, what a great guy. He gets the, he gets the trophy. He tells his wife, hey, I'm going to go out and run an errand, leaves his wife and kids, I'm going to run an errand, and then winds up going to Biscayne uh, Boulevard, and uh, he wasn't looking for bread. <laughs> so I kind of feel like I can't be that kind of Christian. I can't be that kind of Christian. I know uh, the faith is all about forgiveness, but come on. So that, and, and, then, and then in the Super Bowl, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. John Elway faked him out of his shoes. And he gave up a huge, uh, huge touchdown to Rod Smith, and Atlanta gets blown out in that Super Bowl. And then they're up 28 to 3. I don't need to go over it. Anyway, think about that. The Braves always disappoint you, the Hawks always disappoint you, the Falcons deeply disappoint you. I didn't think that this team, this Atlanta team, just last year, I'm not going ancient history on you, just last year, they were up three games to one on this same team. They were up three games to one on the Dodgers. And they blew that one too. But this year is different. And one of the reasons this year is different is because the Dodgers are not the same. I put a little, I, I put a little bit too much faith in the Dodgers and ignored the Braves. And Eddie Rosario getting it done. Another, another four-hit game in this NLCS. You know what he's hitting in the series? 588. Hitting 588 in the championship series has had two four-hit games. That hasn't happened in almost 40 years. That's one. Here's the other thing. Um, I think last year actually helped, and I agree, I agree with their manager. I think last year actually helped them. You know, being down three games to one and then losing those three, you want to take care of business when you get into that situation again. And they're equipped to do it Because this leads me to, since we're talking about wrongs, this leads me to where Major League Baseball has been wrong. And this bothers me. In game five, in game five, with a 3-1 lead, the Atlanta Braves have an actual pitcher, an actual starting pitcher who likes to pitch in games, deep into games on the mound, whereas the Dodgers, who have a payroll out of this world, are going with this opener bullpen game nonsense. I love baseball for a long time. I mean, I mean, I mean, I am a big time baseball fan and I've come up the hard way in baseball. You know, I grew up in Northeast Ohio and at that time, the local team, the formerly named Cleveland Indians, soon to be Cleveland Guardians, were terrible. 
and and we had we, we barely had working TVs, so I used to like mess around with these rabbit ears. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Who, who they don't know they don't know about that. But anyway, had these rabbit ears. I used to mess around watching the the Cleveland Indians. And most of the time I couldn't get a picture. So I listened to them on the radio. They were like 70 and 92 and 60 and, and 102. They were terrible, but I stayed with them because I love baseball. And they, even those bad teams had pitchers who could go six innings or seven innings. You know, they had Burt Blylevin before they traded him. Uh, they had Rick Sutcliffe before they traded him and he, Won to Cy Young. They had John Denny before they traded him, and he won to Cy Young. See the see the theme. Oh man, Cleveland. Bad history. Bad history. Anyway, point is, I've come up thinking that you hand the ball to a starting pitcher. The starting pitcher should pitch. I've come up thinking that if you got a job to do, you might as well do it. it, it you know, fulfill the role that's assigned to you. But this this trend in baseball is out of control and what's happening now is that general managers mostly general managers and some managers are overthinking the game to the point where you have in a deciding game in an nlcs the la dodgers who have great pitching the la dodgers don't have a starter to hand the ball to with their season on the line and the atlanta braves and their 88 wins and their smaller payroll are handing the ball to Max Freed and Max Freed is going to deliver. That's what they're going to lose on. And this is not just, I'm not just picking on the Dodgers and celebrating the Braves. I celebrate any team that actually gives the ball to a starter and lets that starter cook. We just saw it last year and the Dodgers were able to take advantage of it. Y'all remember last year, right? Blake Snell on the mound for Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Rays have Blake Snell, a Cy Young winner. He had thrown 73 pitches. He had given up two hits. He struck out nine guys. He was dealing. It was one zip, five and a third, 73 pitches. Blake Snell just clearing his throat after 73 pitches. The manager comes out, takes him out of the game. It's game six. They're trailing three games to two. Takes him out of the game, predictably. The reliever gives it up. The Dodgers score a couple of runs. They win the World Series in six games. And Blake, and Blake Snell, God bless him, because Snell was a good teammate after the game. After the game, hey, you know, I can see it from both sides. I understand. But he later said in the podcast, I feel like we handed, we handed the World Series to the LA Dodgers, which they did. It happened yesterday. I got into an argument, and I shouldn't have, because I am probably the least athletic person you'll ever meet. I love sports, but I, that's why I'm talking about sports. <laughs> I didn't say I could play sports, just talk about it, right? And write about it. Anyway, I got into an argument with a major league baseball player last night, and we were arguing about the Astros and the Red Sox. Now, the Red Sox handed the ball to a guy making $30 million a year. I take it. Uh, the Astros handed the ball to a guy making about $600,000 a year. $600,000 a year. I take that too. All right. So think about the difference. $30 million, seven-time All-Star, 
Chris Sale, Astros, handed to a guy making $600,000 a year, never made an all-star team. Guess what happened? The $30 million guy couldn't even give you six innings. And, he, and, and by the way, he never has. Chris Sale has never pitched six innings in his postseason career. Never. Six. Come on. Now, he said something that I'm not going to say because I'm too respectful right now. First, uh, at, at the top of the show, I'm too respectful. But he said something to the effect that, okay, I'll just go ahead and say it. He said, I'm quoting. He said, I, uh, I, I left my nuts on the field. That's what he said. You know, it didn't turn out the way we, we wanted it to, but I left my nuts on the field. And, and to which I say, hey, man, I, I don't want your nuts on the field. How about a, just a quality start? <laughs> you, keep your, you keep your private stuff private. How about a quality start when I'm paying you $30 million a year to get it done? Anyway, Chris Sale gives it up again because that's what happens in baseball. You pay a guy $30 million a year. It doesn't give you a quality start. The Yankees had the same thing this year in the one-game playoff with the Red Sox. Garrett Cole was probably making $40 million. I can't count that high, how much he makes. And he couldn't even get through three innings. On the flip side, the Houston Astros and Dusty Baker, who ironically is criticized for the way he handles a pitching staff, Dusty Baker Old is new, new is old. Dusty Baker, listen to what he said after the game. And I can tell you right now, you're going to listen. And as you listen to Dusty uh, and you watch Dusty, just imagine me shaking my head because he's speaking truth. Here's Dusty Baker. You know, if a guy's dealing, you just let him keep dealing. I mean, if he's not dealing, then, you know, you got to make some adjustments. The pitching coaches. Uh, will talk to him. Some of the, like, like Carlos would talk to him. Um, you know, he got out of whack that one time, <clears throat> you know, when I went to the mound, you know, to, to uh, because invariably, you know, he had a no hitter. Everybody know he had a no hitter. Um, and then they get a hit and then he hits the batter. And then that's the time when you really got to settle them down and, uh, and just, uh, you know, take the air out the ball because the crowd was about to get into it. And, and he threw up a double play uh, pitch and then he went back to dealing again. What did you say to him on the mound? <clears throat> I tell him, I say, I just call him from Bosso. I say, hey, man, you're the best. And, uh, man, just, just be natural and just do your thing. Wow. 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 He said, let me see if I get this right. If a guy's dealing, you leave him in there. Imagine. Yes. Why, why are we in, a, in an era of Major League Baseball where we're overthinking the third time through the lineup? Listen, I, I, I know, I, you know I, I'm, not, I'm not general manager material. Um, I can't throw a baseball 60 feet, six inches. I can, but it's not going to be accurate. I don't know where it's going to go. So I would imagine that you shouldn't just be standing around with your back to me if I'm throwing it 60 feet, six inches. But I think I'm smart enough to understand that if somebody got through the order the first time without incident, and then they got through the order the second time without incident, then maybe the third time, until you prove that you can hit it, I'm going to take my chances. I'm just so, I'm disappointed. I am. I'm disappointed in baseball. It has become, it is just, it is a classic case 
of just doing too much. People who shouldn't be involved in the game are tinkering. People who should know better because Dusty Baker uh, played the game. And so did Kevin Cash, the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, who took out Blake Snell. Cash should know better than Dusty because Cash was a catcher. A catcher should know that sometimes your guy just has it. And it's not really about the numbers. He just has it. And you can just tell by the body language of the batters that they don't really want to face him. You can tell that they're looking forward to getting to the bullpen that that starter is just mixing them up. And that's what he had. That's what that's what cash had last year. And he blew it. And I hope for his sake that that wasn't his best chance to win the World Series. Because I think they had a real shot of going to game seven and stealing the World Series from the Dodgers. But in this case last night, good. Good for the Houston Astros. And I wasn't rooting for them to win. But good for them. Because the giants of the game, some still with us, some gone, are celebrating. I can see Bob Gibson, if he even made it to heaven. He was nasty, but I love Bob Gibson. And Bob Gibson leaning over heaven's balcony saying, that's what I'm talking about. Because he's the last guy to pitch, Bob Gibson is, the last guy to pitch eight innings or more at Fenway Park. He did it in 1967 to win a World Series. Bob Gibson was dealing. Louis Tiant once threw like 150, 166 pitches in a World Series game. Oral Hershiser of the Dodgers with that scoreless streak. Jack Moore is going 10 innings in a World Series game. I, I'm not crazy about his politics. I'm really not. I, I think he's a little crazy, but Kurt Schilling pitched six almost seven innings with like a broken ankle in a league championship series. And these guys are telling me, well, you know, 37, 50 pitches, I've had enough. Anyway, I told you where I was wrong. I told you where Major League, Major league Baseball was wrong. But when we come back, I'm going to tell you what I got right. I already went 20 minutes flogging myself and flogging Major League Baseball. I can't go much longer without pounding my chest. So when I come back, I'm going to tell you why I was right. And in the meantime, why don't you put on that Anita Baker Rapture album? That's a great album. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You you tell me, Michael Holly, who beaten them? Yeah. Who oh, beat them last Vinny, year? Come on. Who beat them last Vinny. year, fellas? Oh, who beat them last year? They still got Blake Griffin. They got Claxton. Yeah. Oh, Blake okay. Griffin. They got plenty oh, they got of guys. They got plenty of people. Ooh. Plenty of people. Blake Bruce Griffin. Brown. Okay. Oh, Bruce Brown. Pat, hey, Millsap. They got Bruce they Brown, got, y'all. They got plenty of people. They, they got, got Bruce Brown. Of, Do you think the uh, Brooklyn Nets can repeat as NBA champions? Because I think they won a championship last year. From what I hear, I think they won it in six over the Suns. So do you think they can repeat as NBA champions? I'm just wondering. 
it's a regular season game. You know, I think um, there is some anticipation, um, you know, going into it. Anytime, you know, you play a team in the playoffs, uh, the first time you meet up um, on both sides, there's anticipation. And we all know, um, you know, how talented and how good uh, Brooklyn is and how much respect we have for them. So, um, you know, we're going to we're going to be better for tonight. They tested us. Um, you know, some of the things they do are just really hard. Hard to guard their talent, um, you know. So, you know, we expect nothing but the best from Brooklyn. And uh, however many times we play them, we know we'll get it. And uh, you know, we'll just see where we are, and we'll get better after each game, hopefully. To me, it's just act like it never happened. At least that's why I try to tell myself to stay focused, stay determined, um, and to stay as sharp as I can. It's just you know, don't think about you know I already did what I said I wanted to do. Now I'm done. Now the job is to act like it didn't happen, try to repeat it, and do it again. I would say it's about continuing to enjoy the journey of the pursuit of excellence, excellent excellence, and, uh, you know, enjoying the moments with your teammates. And I think for us, um, you know, there's much more we want to accomplish. We're not satisfied with what we've done. If anything, it gives us confidence because of what we have done of and what we can continue to do. Uh, and I would say just, you know, don't get bored of that, you know, success in that journey. All right. Um, you see the headline there. And I, I got issues with the headline. I, got, I, I, mean, I just got issues with the whole storyline. And I'll tell you why in a second. Now, look, 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 look. Since I'm in, a, I'm in a good mood and I'm just confessing everything. You ask me anything, I'm going to confess it today. This, this could be problematic for me. I'm going to tell you stuff that I probably shouldn't tell you. But I like y'all. I, th- I feel like we've developed a really good relationship. And so I'll tell you anything. And I hope you don't judge me too harshly. Now, you guys know. Those of you who have uh, checked out the show, you listen to the show, you know that I got some troll in me. I got a troll spirit in me. Uh, especially when Michael Smith and Vinny Goodwill are in tandem, in concert, live at Carnegie Hall, Michael Smith and Vinnie Goodwill trumpeting the Brooklyn Nets. You think they get you think they get paid for this? Are they on the payroll? What's up? Like, oh, Brooklyn, they act like they have never seen no good basketball play before or never seen stars on teams before. Watch out, Witten Marcellus. Watch out. You had a long run. Playing in New York? No, no, no. Michael, Michael and Vinny are coming to take over and just talk about how great the Brooklyn Nets are. Anyway, I know I got some troll in me. But this is what I know. This is what I know to be true. And this is not necessarily about Milwaukee as it is about the, the nature of the NBA. I'll say this. The NBA is brutal in this way. The NBA is not like hockey where in hockey... We, we, we've seen an eight seed. I think it was the LA, uh, LA Kings several years ago. Eight seed. Get a hot goaltender and win the Stanley Cup. An eight seed. Can I tell you right now? That ain't never going to happen in the NBA. Never. An eight seed cannot, will not, ain't go win the NBA championship. When eight seeds get to the NBA finals, what happens is they get exposed. That happened with the Knicks. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the lockout season, they're an eight seed. They take on the Spurs 
And I had some fun. I, I covered that one. It was in New York. Had some good time in New York. Good times in New York. But they lost in five games. Because the NBA is not built like the NHL. Let me tell you about the NFL. The Tom Brady story, six-round pick. Nobody really thought he would do anything in the NFL, and then he turns into the greatest football player ever. That ain't going to happen in the NBA. That 75 greatest players list is going to be out later today. It will be completed. The last 25 will be out around 6 o'clock today. I can tell you there's no Tom Brady in the greatest 75 players in the NBA. These guys were first round picks, maybe second round picks. These guys were great in college. If they didn't go to college, they were highly touted in high school, high school to the pros. That's the NBA story. That, they, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The NFL story doesn't happen in the NBA. Tom Brady's first championship team, a lot of waiver wire pickups, a lot of castoffs doesn't happen in the NBA. Castoffs for the most part, don't win, don't win championships in the NBA. And then in baseball, where you got teams that are maybe the seventh best, sixth best, and they go on runs, like, the, like the, the Atlanta Braves, we were just talking about them. An 88-win team taking on a 106-win team and having them down three games to one in a championship series? No. No. The NBA is about stars and it's about young stars in their prime. Giannis is 26 years old, ain't gonna be 27 until December, already has two straight in the back-to-back MVPs, has a defensive player of the year award, got better during last year's NBA finals, concluding with a 50-point clincher, and he's still angry and he's still improving beginning of the series. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anybody who couldn't make free throws at the beginning of a series. And then when you get to the end of the series, they can't miss from the line. What did he miss? Two free throws in game six? My point is, in NBA history, when you got guys who are 25, 26, 27 years old, and they win one championship, you know what they usually don't do? They usually don't stop. That's what the NBA is. The NBA is an American story. See, we like the American story of of rags to riches. That other sports is rags to riches. So you see a lot of these underdogs, you know, on the come up, start off from the bottom. Now we're here, the whole thing, right? That's other sports. The NBA, shout out Paul Beatty, great poet, great writer, great writer, is big bank, take little bank. That's That's what the NBA is. Big bank, take little bank. I'm a star. You're not. And I'm going to make you pay for it until I get out of my prime. So I'm just going to tell you, based on the history of the league, Giannis is due for at least one more championship. It might be three more. If, think, think about it, family. Think about it. And, 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 and y'all can correct me uh, if I'm wrong. We got a special edition of the, uh, the comment section coming today. So if, if you can think of an example of how this didn't quite work out the way I'm, I'm going to lay it out, I'm more than happy to hear it and to consider it. So think about it. Think about Michael Jordan when he won his first championship. He was what, 27, 28? And that was one. That was one of six. LeBron, how old was LeBron when he won his first one? 25? That, that was one of four. Now, you got Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. That's interesting. Because they're both young when they won, but you had two, like, 
all-time greats, like top 10 players at the same time, go in their prime at the same time, East Coast, West Coast. That's a, I'm about to drop a bar here. But East Coast, West Coast, Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson. And Larry got three. And the reason he didn't have more, because he had to deal with Magic, who had five. When you win in the NBA and you're in your prime, you don't stop. You don't stop. There's, there's not an NBA story of an all-time great. I'm trying to think. All-time great player wins his first championship and then says, oh, man, it's been 10 years. <laughs> it doesn't work. Tim Duncan, Shaq, Kobe, they win, especially if they're together. When Shaq and Kobe were together, not one, not two, three straight. LeBron and, and D. Wade and Bosh all in their 20s. That's why everybody was mad because they knew what was coming. And, and some of the exceptions, if you think, and I, I thought this through now, if you think about some of the exceptions, you say, all right, well, Michael, you forgot about Dirk. Was Dirk in his 20s when he won? I, I don't know. I think he may have been touching 30, right? It was a while. He had been in the league for about, what, eight, 10 years before he won his first one? Was he about 30 when he won his first one? 30 is different. 20, 26, 27, 28, that's where you want to be. That's a sweet spot. That's prime basketball. And you just go collect them. You're just collecting them, especially if they keep your team together. So uh, let, let me just point out, and this is not about, you know, hey, Milwaukee over Brooklyn. I'm not here to, to slam Brooklyn. As a matter of fact, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing that for a little bit, for a little bit, because I think the point's getting diluted. The point's getting diluted. Oh, by the way, oh, Gary Carter, just in my ear, Gary Carter. By the way, everybody, shout out to Gary Carter. Follow him on Twitter. Great guy, great guy. So Gary Carter just said in my ear that Dirk was 32 when he won his first championship, his first and only, 32, a little bit too late. Here in Boston, the new big three, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, they were all in their 30s, all of them, when they came together. Probably should have had two, but they won one. And then they broke down. So, so what's my point? My point is Giannis is still getting better. And I, I can make a very good argument without even trying to get under your skin. I can make a good argument that everybody keeps saying that Kevin Durant's the best player in basketball. I can make an argument easily that it's Giannis. Not one of the best, not, one of, not, not in the top five, the best. The best player in the game is Giannis. So you got Giannis, who's still improving. You got Chris Middleton, who's back. Drew Holiday, I know he went out, got injured. Uh, but he's back with this team. The coaching staff is back. You know, ownership is content. So usually when you have all this together, why, why would they? Why would they fall off in the East? Especially when you consider what's happening around them. Miami? They added a 45-year-old dude in Kyle Lowry. I'm just, I'm just tripping. I like Kyle Lowry. Just wanted to make the point, though. They got older. They improved, but they got older. Uh, Philadelphia got worse. We'll talk about that later with uh, Michael C. Wright of, uh, of, of NBA TV and NBA.com. We'll talk, we'll talk about Philadelphia. Philadelphia got worse because Ben Simmons got to go, right? He wants to go. So Philadelphia top seed in the East last year got worse. Miami got a little bit better. Boston shuffled the deck and Brooklyn. Ooh, I'm glad you mentioned Brooklyn. 
I love how the tables have turned on this one because I'm about to tell you something. Brooklyn fans, come on, admit it. Admit it. Say it. You missed Kyrie. You missed Kyrie. You mad at Kyrie, but you missed him the other night. You missed him against the Milwaukee Bucks. What were they missing? Oh, I don't know. A third star. There's not, you know, I'm telling you about NBA history, and you guys can fact check me. I'm here for it. This is an interactive conversation. You can tell me where I'm wrong and all that. I'm sure I'm wrong on something. But I told you about NBA history when you're in your 20s. You know what happens in your 30s? You don't take away players and get better. Not when you're in your 30s. So you've got Kevin Durant, who's what, 33? You got Kevin Durant at 33. You got James Harden in his 30s. Kyrie touching 30. And you take away Kyrie and you're going to be fine. How many times have I heard that? I'm going to add that to my, my list, my Brooklyn list. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write it down. All the things I hear about Brooklyn. Let's see. There's the shoe. There's the shoe size. Kevin Durant. If not for Kevin Durant's shoe size, that's one. Uh, there is the injuries. All right. Hey, listen, if, if not for James Harden on one leg or, 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 uh, or, or Kyrie, you know, they would have won last year. And then we have fine. It's a new, this is a new version of Brooklyn's finest. They're fine. Brooklyn's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a runaway champion with Kyrie, but without Kyrie, you take away one of the uh, 25 best players in the league, leaving you with two guys in their 30s, theoretically past their prime. Not bad, not bad, but past their prime, right? Is Kevin Durant better? Is, is Kevin Durant better now than he was in his MVP year? I don't know. He wasn't hurt then. Is James Harden better now than he was three years ago? Still good players, great players, great, great, great players, but not in their prime. So you have two guys in their 30s, you take away one of them, and you're going to be fine, you're going to win a championship over this young team in, in, in Milwaukee that's still getting better? Sorry. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. There's some, you get a little spirit in you, you get a little, a little, uh, little base in your chest when you win a championship, everybody does. The players do. The coaching staff does now. Mike Budenholzer doesn't have to hear anybody say he's not a championship coach. He knows he is now. The marketing department can sell stuff now, showing off those fancy rings that they just got. Hey, we're the champion of Milwaukee Bucks. They've all been upgraded. They're all in a Romans 12 state of mind. Let me preach for a second. On a Romans 12, a renewal of their mind. They've been transformed. (laughs) I'm just having fun. I love y'all so much. Anyway, let's listen to Kevin Durant. And then we'll, uh, you know, you get tired of hearing my voice. I can tell. You're not feeling me right now. You're tired of hearing my voice. We're going to bring in uh, uh, Michael Wright after this. But let's listen to Kevin Durant, what he had to say after that Brooklyn, uh, that Brooklyn-Milwaukee game. I think it's a very good team. We've been together for, you know, a few years now. Um, obviously, they're the defending champion. So, um, you know, we know what level we got to get to, and we will get to that level. This game one of a, of a new season. Uh, honestly, we're excited about the season. Um this might have made us even more excited just because we know that there's a level that we got to get to that we're not even close. I don't know if you remember this, but you called the Bucks a dynasty. 
Maybe I was reaching a little bit. <laughs> I just look at it as if it's hard in the league for four or five guys to stay together as long as the Bucks did, you know, through the ups and downs of losing in the first, second round, almost going to the finals in 2019. And, you know what I'm saying? So they've been through a lot together. That's probably, that's what I meant more than anything. Then they finally won the championship and, you know, I don't, they're just a, they're just a team with continuity. I, I take that dynasty thing back. I know it's a lot of uh, where it gets thrown around, but um, they got some continuity. A lot of teams don't have. KD, I respect you. I respect the take. And it's too early to say they're a dynasty. But if you really want to do a little forecasting, it's coming. It's coming. Why? Because it always does in the NBA. Anyway, listen, that's enough for me. And let's bring in some company. Let's have some company. Uh, this brother here coming up next. One of the best, uh, one of the best in the business. Mike Wright, NBA TV, NBA.com. I'm gonna talk some basketball with him. Oh, I love it. Hey, that, that picture, a, a picture says a thousand words or just one word. What's the one word? Champion. Champions. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, how about this? Sham Sharanya says, uh, 76ers all-star Ben Simmons currently not mentally ready to play for the team and was receiving treatment on his back today due to the ramp-up process. He will miss Friday's home opener versus the Nets and he is not expected to play for an undetermined period of time. Listen, this is one of those stories that just keeps adding different layers, taking different turns, dips, all kinds of things going on with, with Ben Simmons, and, and to help us explain that and other NBA stories, we got a guy I've been a fan of for a long time. Uh, his name is Michael C. Wright. Does work for NBA.com, NBA TV. Uh, Michael, let's just start here. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on with Ben Simmons, and how do you interpret the latest twist in an ever-twisting story? I would say, bro, your your guess is as good as mine on this. But, like, just the fact that he's saying he's not mentally ready, that's, you know, that's a little alarming because uh, from what we've seen so far, you haven't been mentally ready, ready since the playoffs, since, since the, you know, since what happened in the playoffs and everything. And, man, I just, for this dude, I just really, I, I don't know if I feel sympathy for him, but, He's in a situation where he is about to blow the bag 
because he got his feelings hurt. I mean, let's just be real and let's just break it all, all the way down to, you know, its core. It's about you getting your feelings hurt, man. And this is the thing. If you're, you know, as a reporter, if you're willing to do whatever you have to do to get out of Philadelphia, well, what you got to do is you have to go and be engaged and you have to go ball out and you've got to show everybody that, you know, you've got some trade value. You got to show the whole league this. And so right now I just, you know, like I just wish he would just kind of face the music, so to speak. You know what I mean? Swallow your pride, go rejoin the team, go ball out, show everybody what you are. I mean, like the, when we talk about Ben Simmons, it's almost like he's not what he is. This dude is, he's been an all, all NBA guy. He's a good player. The only problem is he, you know, yeah. he needs to work on the jump shot. That's it. But you can compensate for everything else with other facets of the game. You know, your defense, your pass, and all those things. And, you know, he's more than capable of doing that. Dude, just man up and hand him up, as we say in Texas. Well, listen, I love that. But I'm wondering, how, how do you handle it? If, if you're Philadelphia, I mean, you think about where they are right now. Everybody, I feel like, has played, it's, it's probably the worst chess game ever. Like, you look at both participants and say, okay, what are you doing? And, and yo, what are you doing? That's a terrible move. That's a terrible move. Let's just start over. For Ben Simmons, his chess move was, hey, I don't want to get fined, I guess. So I'm going to go and not participate where I still lose money. I'm going to show up and lose money just like I could have stayed home and lost money. So I really didn't, I didn't accomplish anything except make my reputation go down even further by showing up, which I didn't think was possible. Then on Philadelphia's side, they're sitting there and they're holding on to this, this player whose trade value goes down daily because of the stuff that he's doing. So what's the next move in the, in this worst, uh, America's worst chess game? What's the next move and who makes it? (laughs) Well, you know what? I think it's it's a waiting game. I think that, you know, obviously, Daryl Morey and the Sixers, they as an organization, they've got to make sure that they get the best value that they can out of Ben Simmons. Well, Ben Simmons obviously is not helping the situation. And, you know, Mike, you've been in the, Michael, you've been in the media game, you know, long enough to know this, that when you're in these kinds of situations, it sort of gets played out in the court of public opinion. All Ben has to do show up, ball out. And then when the media ask you, ask you questions about your situation, you can say, hey, I don't want to be here, but I feel a sense of accountability to my teammates and my coach. Like, he just do all the right things. And this is the thing. It's not like Ben Simmons is getting bad, bad, bad advice. You telling me Rich Paul doesn't know what he's doing? I guarantee you he's telling him well, to do the right thing. I don't know, I, Michael. I'm, I, I don't. I don't believe. I, I do not believe that Rich Paul is giving this guy bad advice. I think he's giving him the right advice. But again, you're talking about a young kid. His feelings are hurt, and that's the way he's playing it. And you can't make these decisions based off emotion. Michael, how many times has an editor, a producer, some somebody in management done something Ooh. to sort of hurt your feelings? Ooh. But you you were not going to jeopardize the bag because you got your feelings hurt. It's not happening. And so I think that's what we're we're seeing right here. Man, speaking of that, they're telling me right now that I suck. I mean, like, in my ear right now, (laughs) like, you suck, man. But look, I'm going to keep going anyway. (laughs) But you're right. You can't 
Yeah, you can't you can't take it. You can't take it that personally. But I think here's a lesson. This is a basketball coaching lesson. Uh, this is a business operations lesson and any business. It's a parenting lesson. I think for Doc Rivers and you can't go enable and then switch to I'm going to be the hard ass. You can't because you wait a minute. Ben, ben Simmons knows you as a guy who's going to protect him at all times. Now you're saying, hey, Ben, you got a contract. Okay, where was that? I mean, where was that last year where people were uh, questioning Ben Simmons and Doc was coming in, caping up for him. Hey, hey, you guys don't know basketball. What am I supposed to do? Bench Ben Simmons? Then when he actually tells the truth, the guy he caped up for is now saying, well, wait a minute. You're my protector. You can't be both. Like, it, it never works out. In other words, it doesn't work out. You just figure out, tell the truth, and let the chips fall. And I think Doc has learned that lesson now. The hard way, man. But maybe maybe this is a situation where it sort of backfired. Because, let's be real, most alpha males, most you know um, professional athletes, when you hear something like that, you usually go the other way. Okay, that's right. That's how you feel yeah. about me, you know. I, so now I got to go out there and work my ass off this offseason and show you that I'm more than what you say I am. And it just sort of went the other way with him. And it, it's, you know, it, it's it's interesting when we look, when we break it all down and look at it. But at the same time, when he was coming out of the draft of uh, 2016, these were some of the knocks on him that he didn't necessarily love the game, so to speak. You know, it was more about the lifestyle. Like, there were there were criticisms even all the way back then. These are not new. And so, you know, if I'm Ben Simmons, I want to prove them all wrong. Like, man, let me show you what I am. And the thing is, again, Ben Simmons is not, ben Simmons is not a scrub. The dude can play all-NBA, right. all-star type guy. Yes, okay, just show it. That's all you got to do. If you really want out of Philadelphia, go out there and show them the player that you're capable of being. And then, you know, now the Daryl Morey and the organization, they can go and make that trade that they need to make to make the organization either maintain or even be better than they were, you know, before they got rid of them, whatever the case may be. Uh, Michael, uh, when, when you do the show by yourself, you can say all kinds of things without any kind of pushback. So, I'm talking all my trash when Michael <laughs> Smith's not here. I'm talking about him behind his back. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. All right. So now you're here to kind of be the speed. You can slow me down a little bit because I've already anointed uh, Giannis as the best player in the league. I've anointed the uh, Milwaukee Bucks as a dynasty. I've said Brooklyn uh, is not going to win the championship. I mean, I've said all kinds of stuff. So now just set me straight. When you look at the best team in the NBA, and the best player in the NBA, give me some names, you know, counter some of my nonsense. I really can't. I'm just being honest with you because just like everybody else going into this season, I'm like, okay, even without Kyrie Irving, the Brooklyn Nets are the best team in the NBA. They're the favorites to win the championship. Then we see the opener. We see the opener in Milwaukee. James Harden has to watch Giannis get his ring. And I'm sure he did not like watching that. But when you watch that game, Giannis played like a guy that ain't won nothing. He played like a guy that is not a two-time right. MVP. 
not a champion. This dude was relentless going to the basket. And, you know, I've said this in the past, and I'll continue to say it, that I'm a big believer in momentum. And the momentum that Giannis generated during the playoffs, if you remember, this dude's at the free throw line. They're counting him down, trying to throw him off his rhythm. By the end of the playoffs, that was almost like comfort food to him. He's like, you know, the crowd is counting down. Once they, they get to 10, he's like, okay, I can shoot it now. And he's ended. So there's there's that momentum just, just from last season and all that he did. I mean, it wasn't like he was just scoring points. This dude was making plays defensively that were just out of this world. And so, you know, I think that Giannis and KD are the favorites to win the MVP. Again, going back to momentum, KD. Okay, you saw how he played in the playoffs against the Bucs. He almost single-handedly brought them back or whatever. And then you saw what he did in the Olympics. That's momentum. He's going to carry that into this season. He's fully healthy. He's another year removed from that uh, Achilles. He's going to be fine. Brooklyn's going to be fine. Brooklyn's going to be competitive. You know, those are the two favorites in the East. But, you know, right now with Brooklyn, they've got to figure out the, the, the lineups. I'm sure you saw some of the rotations and some of the lineups, and you're looking at it like, that don't make much sense. But I will say this. <laughs> I, 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 I've, stayed, I've stayed in contact with uh, LaMarcus Aldridge throughout, like, since he retired or whatever, because, you know, he was here in San Antonio with the Spurs. So, you know, we've de- developed a relationship. And one of the things he's always told me was that, you know, one thing he loved about playing with Brooklyn was that all those guys sort of sort of have a chip on their shoulder. At some point or another in their career, they've all been doubted. You talk about Blake Griffin in, in L.A. with the Clippers. He couldn't get it done. James Harden couldn't get it done. Um, you know, Kyrie can't get it done without LeBron. KD can't get it done without all those other guys at Golden State. So they've all sort of that 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 chip that uh, just that belief that you know, hey, we've been doubted our whole careers. That sort of galvanized them, mm-hmm. and I think that that's one of those things that sort of you know just kind of we 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 don't put as much stock into it as we should because I think that's something that that can kind of help and carry them and, like I said, galvanize them going into the season. Man, I don't know. I don't know if you can see the, the screen here. Well, that graphic that we just put up. Gary, put that up again. I, I, you want to talk about some disrespectful stuff. Now, I agree with what you, what you just said. But, man, uh, okay, here's your GM survey. Ten? Who's the champion? Look at Milwaukee. Uh, yeah, that's Come disrespect. Come on. That's disrespect. Now you want to that's talk disrespect. about a chip? Yeah, that's disrespect. Man, I'm mad. I'm mad for them. Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, uh, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Porters—they ain't having that, man. So yeah, that's that's. 10%. And they went through. They went through some adversity last year. They had some adversity. Look at this. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean. That's amazing. Is this yeah, like the I most mean, well, recent? That's the Lakers, you know, by far. This is, yeah, this Points is bet. disrespectful. Yep. Yep. And, bet. But, you, but, but you saw, but you saw how they came out, Michael. They go get them rings, those big old rings that they could wear as medallions. They, they get the big rings in the ring ceremony and they go out there. And like I said, they play like they hadn't won anything yet. And so when you see that, you know, if you're a Bucks fan, I'm sure you, that's really encouraging because those guys are still hungry. They are not complacent. They want to go get them another one. Hey, man. And speaking of another one, 
you got to have another brother from another appearance. When the other Michael is here, Michael Smith, we can have three Michaels. We can talk ball. We can talk about all sorts of things, man. Really glad that you took the time to come on our show today. And I uh, look forward to uh, talking with you on the air and off the air, Michael, because as I said, man, you do great work. And I've been following you for a while. So really good to catch up with you. Appreciate it, man. And tell Mike to bring his ass to work sometime. I know. I, <laughs> you know, it's like everybody. Everybody now. Hey, and this is the new normal. The new normal, Michael, is like people really don't want to work. They don't really want to work anymore. They, you know, a year and a half, man, I just, I'm going to stay home on Zoom. And, and if it ain't a Zoom thing, but this is a Zoom thing. Bro, Mike, Mike is a thing, ce- And he still don't want to Mike is a celebrity. He a celebrity, though. Mike is a celebrity. And that's just what, that, that's the cost of doing business with a celebrity, Michael. I'm, that's just what it is, bro. See? Isn't that what they said about Ben Simmons, too? He liked the lifestyle. <laughs> like the Hollywood lifestyle. <laughs> he don't want hey, to appreciate work, you, man. For sure, man. Have a good one. All right. All right, you too. Let's check out this ring, too. Woo! Fear the deer. Man, it's a good-looking ring right there. Bucks and six. Perfect. We're going to get another one this year. Maybe two, three more before Giannis is done. I got into an argument with a Major League Baseball player last night. Now, the Red Sox handed the ball to a guy making $30 million a year. I take it. $30 million, seven-time All-Star, Chris Sale. Guess what happened? The $30 million guy couldn't even give you six innings. Now, he said something that I'm not going to say because I'm too respectful. Okay, I'll just go ahead and say it. He said, I I, I left my nuts on the field. That's what he said. And and to which I say, hey, man, I I don't want your nuts on the field. How about just a quality start? (laughs) I'm going to tell you stuff that I probably shouldn't tell you. But I like y'all. I I feel like we've developed a really good relationship. And so I'll tell you anything. And I hope you don't judge me too harshly. I used to know Rapture. You know that Anita Baker album? I used to know it. Start to finish, middle to front middle to end you just drop a lyric on you know same old love used to break up the makeup all the fun we had and those love you know you know anyway flashbacks of the times we had some made us laugh some made us sad oh don't get me started on same old love the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand Normally, or that's sort of a 
guys that especially call the defense, that's sort of a leadership role. How was that for Henry Toto this year, coming in as a first-year player at Alabama, and how has he sort of progressed in that role? Well, I have a question for you, first of all. I mean, did I finally get to meet the boss? <laughs> I apologize. My, my wife is not home yet, so I'm having to pull dad duty. Well, this is the best behavior I've seen you on since I've been here. I mean, obviously. I apologize. So, no, you don't have to apologize. I mean, I, I, if this is the way it's going to be, I'd like for him to be there all the time. Man, I got to tell you. I got to tell you, this is one of – I just – I can't wait to talk about this. This is one of my favorite stories uh, of the month. I love it. So Nick Saban, clearly. Nick Saban uh, having some fun with this. Uh, a, a reporter on Zoom. You can see his hand raised. Had his hand raised. Baby there. And the only thing that disappointed me is my man wasn't doing the dad rock. Dad's out there. You know what I'm talking about. You ever do the dad rock? That was my thing. Mm. Dad rock. Dad rock. Holding the baby. Rock. I had it down. I had it down. As a matter of fact, I can tell you, I used to cover the, uh, I used to cover the NBA uh, for the Boston Globe. So, clearly, wherever the, the Celtics went, I went too. And so they always had a trip. It seemed they always had a trip to Orlando around school vacation time. And I was a single guy, not thinking about kids, not thinking about uh, being married, nothing. I'm just thinking about the job, and that's it. And I used to dread it. Being on that on that flight, Boston to Orlando, that's a long flight, and it was always a bunch of kids, a bunch of young kids, crying. I'm like, oh, here we go. And they always seem to be, you ever, you ever feel like that? They always, like, right next to you, uh, right behind you, right in front of you, you can't, <laughs> and if you switch seats on those planes, kids, crying kids everywhere. And I used to, I'm going to tell you, that used to bother me. That used to bother me. But then once, uh, once we had kids, I just, I, I'm a softie. I just love the sound of it. I, I love the sound of kids, love the sound of the crying. And there are times where I'd see, now I'd see a, a, a young couple with their first kid and I see a, a young dad or young mom struggling. And you can't say this now because people think you're a creep. But I want to say, hey, let me hold the baby. <laughs> Let me hold a baby because I feel like I, I, I can calm any baby down. I, I'm good. You can't do it now. You know, COVID, people are crazy. But you get my point. It's just something great. It's just something great about bringing your kid to work. And dads, can I say, don't apologize. Thank you, Nick Saban, for saying, hey, no need to apologize for, for bringing your child to work. You know, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of people who do that because they have to. And there are companies, I really appreciate it, if, if it's possible. I'm like, obviously, some jobs, you can't do that. Uh, if you're a doctor, you're working in the operating room, you can't bring your child to work. If you're a pilot uh, flying all over the country, you can't bring your child to work. It's, well, you probably shouldn't. But I remember another Globe story. I worked with a guy, really an excellent writer named Peter May. And Peter May, you know, covered the Celtics before I did. And when I started covering the Celtics, uh, he was the NBA writer. You know, really a good writer, has written several books, really uh, does a nice job. But Peter, I remember going to Celtics practices, and he would have 
his kids with him. He'd bring his kids to practice. And I didn't quite understand it at the time. I'm like, oh, what's, what's he doing? Why, why, why is he bringing his kids to practice? And they weren't, they were very, very respectful. They didn't ask players for their autograph. They weren't on the practice court dribbling the ball, shooting around. They weren't noisy. They were just coming to work with dad. And I think that's so important, especially, especially for, for the men out there who are still dealing with, I, I think, how, how do I say it? They're still dealing with some, I think, outdated perceptions, outdated characterizations uh, of what, what fatherhood is and what the role of, of men is. I think we kind of have to uh, redefine ourselves and get out of some of the uh, you know, toxic descriptions of what a man is supposed to be. I'll give you an example. Now, when I'm alone with the kids, because sometimes I do take the kids to work, but when I'm alone with the kids and someone sees me out with them, and be like, oh, you're babysitting today. No, no, no. I'm not babysitting. I'm their father. Like, it's not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing my wife a favor. I'm not doing something that uh, that that deserves a pat on the back. You want a cookie? I hear you, Chris Rock. You want a cookie for that? Man, I take care of my kids. Yes, I take care of my kids because that's the role of a father. But I think it's also important for parents to, uh, to show their kids, when possible, what kind of work that they do. Not only to develop a work ethic, but to keep away from spoiled kids. I told you I'm going to confess everything to you today. One thing I can't stand is a spoiled kid. One thing I can't stand is an entitled kid. Ooh, don't, uh, now, if, if I'm in a babysitting situation and, and you, you bring your kids to my house and, they, and they're not talking right, well, I'm going to say something because I just feel like, no, 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 you be respectful. You be respectful. No, no, no talk back, none of this. I deserve this. This is the way I was raised, so I just don't, I can't put up with it. So, for example, if you think your kids if you think your kids are spoiled, maybe you haven't shown them what it takes to provide the things that you provide. All right, you know, a kid asks for anything. I had, a, I, had a, I had a colleague once who showed me, and he was, he was just joking around, he showed me his kid's Christmas list. And I'm telling you, I had to stop reading. I was getting tired. My eyes were getting tired. I mean, the Christmas list was like two or three pages long. He was asking for like all kinds of, you know, video game systems and cell phone and iPad and clothes and shoes and, and exotic trips. Okay, it's kind of funny, but it's all right to talk to, it's all right to talk to kids about the value of a dollar and the value of hard work at a young age. So I'm glad. That's a long way of saying, reporter, bring your child to work. And thank you, Nick Saban, for recognizing like the beauty in that. I think I, I really love that story. One of my favorite stories. Okay. Now let me tell you about a story. That's the opposite. And and this has been on my mind. I, and, and I hate to I hate to take a uh, a turn like this, but I think it needs to be said because there are a lot of lessons. 
in, in a story like this. And there are a lot of lessons in this man's life. You know, we, we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, the death of, of Colin Powell. I know Michael had it in the feed uh, earlier, earlier this week. I had it in the feed a couple of times during the week, and we didn't get to it. Shame on us. But I do want to talk about Colin Powell, and I want to talk about him and his life and his sacrifices um, and his self-awareness uh, in the context of our former president, uh, Occupant 45, who once again, just when you think he can't get any lower, he does. And I just want to point out to you that, um, well said, <laughs> proves there's no bottom. That's right. I want to point out to you that a lot of people had a problem uh, or, or had and have a problem with the politics of Donald Trump. Sure. Do I? Sure. But before we even got to that, before Trump became president, my problem with him was not necessarily his politics. It's just his character, just the way he looks at things, just his perspective, his, his whininess, his uh, lack of accountability, um, his, uh, his hypocrisy. So it's not, it's not necessarily Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. It's just the way this dude carries himself. So if you missed it, Colin Powell passed 84 years old, uh, complications from COVID. He had been vaccinated. He also had multiple myeloma. And so there were some complications. He was going to get a booster shot uh, on top of his uh, vaccination, like a lot of Americans, but he never got around to that uh, because he was ill from his myeloma. A lot of issues. So uh, Colin Powell, one of, the, one of the great soldiers, great leaders, uh, great public figures in American history, died at the age of 84. And Donald Trump, apparently bothered by the tributes to Colin Powell, released a statement saying, hey, oh, he made mistakes. Oh, that people are handling his death so beautifully, but what about the weapons of mass destruction? Uh, what about this? He was a rhino, a Republican in name only, on and on. And I hope people treat me this way when I die. Classless, right? And, and I, you know, I've always told this, because, you know, those of you uh, who follow the show know that I, that I teach. I teach journalism. I teach sports journalism, and I teach news writing as well. And one of the things that I tell my news writing students, I tell them a couple things, but when we're talking about obits, I say when you're writing the obituary of somebody, you're not trying to say that this person is perfect. You're not giving a eulogy. You are telling the story of their lives. And if this is a news figure, you tell very early why this newsmaker was a newsmaker. What was it? What will this person be known for? And Colin Powell's not known for. That's not, that's not the totality of his story. It's part of his story, but it's not the totality of his story. And any time when you're writing about somebody, an obituary is a feature story about somebody's life, except it's a feature story, but the person's not living. It's the same thing. It's just you're talking about what their life was, not what their life is. And nobody, nobody 
deserves a perfect, everything they did was absolutely right. Nobody deserves that type of remembrance. Nobody's asking for that. So I tell the students that, and I also told the students uh, to bring some levity to it. I'll tell you a true story. It sounds like a lie, but it's true. Oh, I, when, when students were, were writing about me, I, you know, I used to work at newspapers, and, and students would come around, and they'd write about me. How did you get your job? On and on and on. And I'd always ask them, hey, let me see what you wrote. And I noticed a theme from their stories. They were all positive. Now listen. Come on. I've done some positive things in my life. I've done some stupid things in my life, too. So I told one student, after, I, after seeing like five or six examples of this, I said, okay, this is not really good journalism. I'm going to teach them a lesson. So another student came to me and said, hey, you know, can I talk to you? Can I write a story about your life? And, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a journalism student, and I have to do this story. I said, yes, I need to hear the rules. Uh, I want to see what you wrote. And I said, I'm going to give you the name of my ex-girlfriend. And I want you to call my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and I want you to ask what I'm like. Not just what I'm like some of the time, what I'm like all the time. And I can guarantee you that my ex-girlfriend will tell you some stories that are not flattering. What was my point? My point was balance. So Colin Powell, what I liked about his life, what I respected about his life was the balance and the sensibility that he brought to it. And even though the weapons of mass destruction, that was a disaster. He gave a speech uh, before the United Nations in 2003, February of 2003. America goes to war the next month and very quickly. By March, April 2003, they realized there are no weapons of mass destruction. That was bad intelligence. Colin Powell led the American people to believe that something was happening that was happening that was not happening. Okay, that's not good, right? It's not good. But this is what we can all learn from. Colin Powell, oh, get this, admitted his mistake. Admitted his mistake, said, I regret it. I got it wrong. And that's one thing that the man criticizing him in his death can't seem to grasp that sometimes you don't get it right and you got to say i got I'm, I'm wrong i'm wrong i missed it i missed it and if i could do it again which i can't but if i can if i could if i could do it again if i could tell my younger self something i would say hey why don't you consider these th these three things three or four things that you that, that you didn't consider donald trump is incapable of doing that Colin Powell lived his life by that. A couple of other things that Colin Powell did that, that Donald Trump can't even realize. One, he served. It was a life of service. He admitted, read his memoir. His memoir is great. It was a bestseller uh, back in the 90s. I think it was 1993, 1994, somewhere like that. Uh, uh, 95, 95. I think it was 95. Uh, number one bestseller, rightfully so. In his memoir, he said, hey, I was, not a, I was not a great student. I was a C student. But my passion was serving. So he told you his grades, and he went to service. The other guy criticizing him still ain't seen his grades. He wants to talk about everybody else's intelligence, but we don't know what he did in college. 
And instead of serving, he ran away from it using the influence of his father to avoid service. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to serve, but don't, don't you dare, don't you dare criticize a lifelong soldier, which is what Colin Powell said he wanted to, he wanted to describe himself as that. Somebody who, who, who served his country, somebody who stood up for his country, and somebody who was trying to get it right and made some mistakes, but was always talking about uh, the, the welfare of children and looking out for uh, the least of these, so-called least of these. Don't you dare criticize somebody like that. What have you done? So um, I was disappointed by that uh, unfair, unfair statement from our former president, a president criticizing somebody like Colin Powell. You don't have to agree with his politics. His politics were, his politics were a little bit all over the place. He was an independent for a while, even though he served... Um, you know, uh, in, in the Reagan administration, he called himself an independent. Then when he, uh, when he left office, he registered as a Republican. He was a Republican. Then uh, he supported Barack Obama. And uh, he supported Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. And I think that's what this is about. That's what this is about. This is about uh, Colin Powell saying that uh, Donald Trump, he thought he was a disgrace. And he didn't like the way the tenor, the, the political tenor was going, the rhetoric of Donald Trump. And so this is, I guess, uh, this is payback. But what I, what I love about the American story, one of the many things I love about the American story is, is people like this who can serve Democrats and serve Republicans who can... Uh, think about the country more than thinking about partisanship and can think about service throughout their lives. That's the American story. That really, that the, the ability, even if you have a personal feeling about something, the ability to go, to transcend your personal feeling and to think about the greater good. So I started off saying, it's one of my least favorite stories of the week, the treatment of Colin Powell, but I'm gonna end with a positive and say, thank you, thank you. And there are many people like this. He is a famous figure in American, people, uh, in American history, but there are many people who have that same thought process, that same temperament, that they are, they are giving their lives, truly putting their lives on the line for the United States of America, and they're doing it sometimes for things that they don't personally believe in, but they see a greater good. Colin Powell did that. Some of you have done that. Some people that you love have done that, are doing that. Thanks to you. Thanks to Colin Powell. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
you know, I was studying a little bit on the Bears and, and the Packers and, and watched a lot of that. That was another great game. And I, actually, before we get started, I wanted to say congrats to Aaron. Rodgers, obviously, um, not always a great quarterback, but I guess he's now a shareholder of the Bears. He was, you know, I, <laughs> I saw a clip of him really enthusiastically telling the crowd how happy he is to own Soldier Field. And uh, it's really great stuff. He owns the Bucks now, part owner of Soldier Field. So um, he's, he's got a, a great career beyond football. All right, listen, obviously some tongue-in-cheek from Tom Brady uh, talking about Aaron Rodgers telling the Bears fans, hey, I've owed you my entire bleeping life. Uh, we got a family member here, uh, Peter King, always, always been a good friend, great NFL reporter and writer, uh, Football Morning in America. Check it out on NBCSports.com. So, Peter, um, do you think just in all seriousness, you look at Tom Brady talking about Aaron Rodgers, Brady at 44, looking at Rodgers at 37. Do you think that these guys just really take a, a, a special, like, 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 like they, want to take, they want to run a couple of special laps for being the older guys and clearly a young man's game? Look, I think Aaron Rodgers, Michael, has a tremendously interesting uh, and very compelling and influential decision to make this coming off season. If you're Aaron Rodgers, would you want to be traded this coming March to a team that you don't necessarily choose? That you'll have some say, but they're not trading you to a team that's going to be a rival of the Green Bay Packers. Or do you want to wait until you are a 39-year-old free agent. Remember, Tom Brady was a 42-year-old free agent when he went to Tampa. Do you want to wait until you're a free agent <laughs> after the 2022 season when you're 39 years old, three years younger than Brady was when he hit the market, and then be able to choose whatever team you want to go play for? That is the choice that Aaron Rodgers has to make. And to me... It's almost no lose, but I do think that the one thing that if I were Rodgers is I'd say to the Packers, if you don't sign Devontae Adams in 2021, I mean, for 2022 at least, then I'm not interested in staying. Now, I don't have any idea if he would do that, but that is the kind of power that he could lord over the organization especially if he continues to play at a high level and they have a division-winning season and at least make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's so funny, uh, Peter. I have so many people talking to me about Aaron Rodgers. A friend of mine uh, from Northeast Ohio checked in yesterday. He said, hey, Aaron Rodgers will look good with the Browns. And then we were talking earlier, uh, if Ben Roethlisberger moves on from the Steelers, hey, Aaron Rodgers will look good in Pittsburgh. And then the Broncos, I mean, so I think a lot of people are looking at this Rodgers situation and envisioning him with their team. But speaking of that, quarterbacks, just talking about quarterbacks, what do you know about Deshaun Watson? Because there was a little uh, movement yesterday that, hey, he could be traded uh, sooner rather than later to the Dolphins. Do you think that's going to happen fairly soon? You know, Michael, I just don't know. I do know that the owner of the Dolphins – uh, Stephen Ross 
has had a um, his is it's there is an urgency to Stephen Ross and what he wants with this team, and that is he wants a long term answer at quarterback. The hard thing for Chris Greer and you know for for everybody in that organization, Chris Greer, the the general manager, Brian Flores, the coach, is that. You really, if you draft a player fifth overall in 2020, which they did with Tua Tonga-Valoa, you really, it's going to be an absolute total waste if you trade for Deshaun Watson right now and give up, uh, give up Tua Tonga-Valoa, either sending him back to Houston in trade or keeping him and letting him play the rest of the year and then seeing what you can get for him at the end of the year. Uh, it's just, it's, it's not, you know, Stephen Ross is one of the great businessmen in America. And I don't know any other business that he would say, hey, let's throw away this huge investment we made, an investment that really may work out. We don't know yet. We haven't seen enough of him yet. It may work out for a guy who may have a tremendous rap sheet when he walks into uh, our team. So I, honestly, Michael, I don't, I can't, I think it is nonsensical to trade for Deshaun Watson right now, just because the trading deadline Ooh. is in two weeks. Well, I, but I can see it from the Texans perspective now because, uh, because Miami has been so disappointing, Peter. I mean, if you're talking about first round picks, let's say you, you get their first round pick in 2000. 22 that's going to be a pretty good pick whereas if you had traded Watson in the offseason and everything is resolved now you got Watson a quarterback instead of one and five maybe they're five and one maybe so at, at least their draft pick their most their, their next draft pick is valuable and they have more draft picks to, to offer to the Texans I can see it making sense from the Houston perspective because it seems like they have finally reconciled uh, no, no Deshaun Watson in the organization. But Michael, you're assuming that what I think is faulty logic, that Deshaun Watson would have played for Miami this year. And so he would have played well enough for them to be five and one. I can't assume that Deshaun Watson would have played. Do you think the NFL with those, uh, with those multiple cases of some sort of sexual harassment uh, or sexual assault. Do you think the NFL is going to allow him at that point to step on the field and play for any team? I mean, it's possible. Why not I suspend suppose. him? Then? And you could say, why, well, you, but why you not could put him say, on the you, co- commissioner's ahead. list now? I know what I'm saying, but you Peter, could put him I, on I, the I commissioner's. Yeah. Why haven't they? Because the 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 Texans basically have done the NFL a solid. He has not been, you know, the reason why the commissioner's exempt list has been used in the past, it's been used against players who were charged with very serious crimes. Okay, so right now, uh, Deshaun Watson has been accused of very serious crimes, all right? But he's not been charged, you know, in, in courts of law. He's not, he's not had to put up bail. He's, you know, so... So these, it's, it's a different thing right now. And that's why he hasn't been. But I could see the NFL if, 
Miami trades for him and attempts to put him in the lineup. In my opinion, the only way I would do this if I were Miami is if they've gotten a nod and a wink from the NFL that said, we will not stand in the way of Deshaun Watson playing football before his case is adjudicated. If that's the case and they want to trade for him, I would understand. But still, Michael, here's the other problem. How can Houston get the best deal possible when you don't know what the, what the uh, future penalty on Deshaun Watson is going to be, either in a court of law or by the NFL? What if uh, he reaches out-of-court settlements with 15 women or 20 women in this case? And, and, and so he doesn't have any court, uh, you know, he doesn't have any, he's not facing jail time. But would, what would the NFL do with a guy who had to settle cases with women over sexual assault charges? In my opinion, he still could be facing a lengthy suspension. So whether that suspension comes in the last, say, eight weeks of this year, the first eight weeks of next year, Man, you better think that Deshaun Watson not only is great, but this is absolutely unequivocally out of character, and he'd never do anything like this again. Hmm. Yeah, yeah interesting point. Uh, look, let's talk about uh, Deshaun Watson, w- one Clemson quarterback, and let's talk about another one. Uh, in, in his, his situation, not Trevor Lawrence. I got no issues with Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be fantastic, even though – uh, the Jaguars only have one win. I like what I've seen so far from Trevor Lawrence. But how about his head coach? We've talked about him a lot. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, they get that win in London. The Urban Meyer, you know, choir got kind of quiet, and I was leading it. I got to admit, I was leading that choir. The choir's quiet now on Urban Meyer. Do you think he is, is, is he built for the long haul in, in Jacksonville? Is he built for it as Sean Khan, Sha, uh, Sean Khan, about uh, Urban Meyer staying there for a long time? See, I think it's such a good question, Michael, and I don't know how it's possible to know that because nobody in Gainesville thought that, uh, you know, thought that uh, Urban Meyer was going to be out when he was out, and nobody in Ohio State really did either. But I do think right now when you look at Urban Meyer's situation, That was a pretty desperately needed victory because it shows that they are doing some things right. And look, at the end of the game, it was his decision, uh, you know, basically talking with Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel, his offensive coaches, on the sidelines. It was his decision with five seconds left to sort of go against the grain and say, I think we can pick up eight yards and still have time to call a timeout and kick the field goal. It's, he was very, very much, that was very, very close, whether that was going to work or not, but it did work, and they ended up winning the game. But, Michael, look, it's easy to look at Urban Meyer and say his past history says, which is redundant, his history says that okay. it's doubtful that he's going to stay over the long haul. And I would be surprised if he's there longer than, say, four years. But then again, you know, I think you've got to take the, if you hired the guy in the first place, what he did in Cincinnati and Columbus that weekend, to me, is not worthy of termination. It's worthy of saying, what are you thinking of? But it's not worthy of termination. He just has to work right now to 
rebuild the trust in his organization. Speaking of trust, uh, trust with the fan base. Those e- the emails that came out that did lead to the termination of John Gruden led to some embarrassment for Adam Schefter, led to some embarrassment uh, for, for uh, Jeff Pash and others. What's the story there? Because I, I, I know if I'm thinking like a fan, I say, well, wait a minute. They keep saying there are 650,000 emails. And we've heard just about a few of them, and they're explosive. So, hey, what, what's going on? Are we trying to kind of uh, uh, understate the explosiveness and the relevance of these 650,000 emails? What's going on here, and when can we start to get a, a glimpse of some of them? Is that fair? I heard over the weekend that we're going to hear about some more of the emails. I just don't know when, and I don't know what they're going to say. Uh, but I heard that there, there's a very good chance that some more are going to be parceled out. Is that true? Is that not true? I don't know. I'm not the one who broke the story. Um, so, you know, I think the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, their reporters did a really good job on that. But, you know, Michael, I think the thing that really bothers me more than anything in the wake of this, as one highly respected uh, NFL source told me over the last weekend, this was like a mafia hit on Gruden. And this, you know, these are old emails, not ancient, but old. And he deserves, uh, he, he deserves to, be, uh, to be penalized and perhaps fired. And I have no problem with him not being the coach of the Raiders anymore. You can't walk into a locker room with the only openly gay player in football and with the majority of players in the locker room being black. You can't walk in there after those emails. So I don't blame him for being gone. I don't blame the Raiders somehow, someway, the quote, resignation, unquote. I don't blame them. My biggest problem is very, very simple. How in the world in uh, an investigation of Daniel Snyder and the, co- and the culture of the Washington football team, does Daniel Snyder skate does Daniel Snyder get a sanction of 3% of one year of the revenue of this team? And then at the end of this year, at some point, he's going to walk back in to take full control of this team. He wasn't suspended, but he's going to walk back in to take full control of this team with nothing askance. He skated on this ridiculously, uh, in my opinion anyway, dangerous, uh, hurtful, sexual assault, sexual harassment, uh, you know, case involving his team. And I think the NFL should be ashamed of itself, quite frankly, that they didn't, that Roger Goodell, he should be ashamed of this sanction because he did not treat, uh, I mean, look at it this way, Michael. He treated Tom Brady worse for a case that was never proven it it was alleged and would you and i say that he probably had some knowledge of the footballs being uh deflated to some small degree right. i'd say probably but i can't say with certainty i don't know you don't know we don't know and right. roger goodell doesn't know either okay that 
it, it bothers me that Brady got it a lot worse than Daniel Snyder for running one of the worst cultures on any team in NFL yep. history. And he yeah, skates. Yep. All right. Now, okay, that, that's a problem, but, but we still have to deal with it. And, and look, sometimes these things break in ways that are not always righteous and honorable. This is my last question for you, then I'll let you go. They, they break sometimes in ways that you know, we don't really like, but the information is relevant anyway. So, yes, it probably was a dirty hit on Gruden, but he gave them the material for them to have the dirty hit yeah. on him. And that's why I keep, that's why I question Peter, what else is there? We've got race norming out now in the right. NFL, and the NFL is going to have to pay for that practice. I wonder what is said there about Kaepernick. I wonder what is said there about more stuff about the Rooney rule. I mean, there are a lot of these issues that I feel like the real story is in those emails. And on one hand, I want to get them. Michael, the NFL knows that. I don't want to get them in That's a dirty way, reasons. but I'd like, to, I'd like to know. That's one of the reasons why the NFL doesn't want these emails out. They can say to Barry Wilner, the Associated Press, there's nothing else real bad in these emails. Well, you're, you're, you, know, you, you haven't been the most trustworthy organization on this story. Tell me about it. So right. let's see the emails. Let's redact the names in the emails. And let's release the emails. And, and look, if these, there are some either uh, cheerleaders with the Washington football team or female employees, either past or present with the Washington football team, who, according to the NFL, don't want any of their stuff out. Okay, all right. So one-third of the women or, or one-half, however many it is, just eliminate their emails. Just don't release those. Those can stay sealed. That's fine. But all the other women who have come forward and say, come on, we want to see it. We want to see what actually was happening, what the NFL found, what the attorney in Washington running the investigation at that time, Beth Wilkinson, what did she find? And, and look, I'm sorry, I don't trust the NFL saying, uh, oh, there's nothing else in these emails. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I just I, I don't trust them. Let's see them. Redact the names, release the emails. Good stuff, Peter King. As usual, uh, thank you for joining us, man. I always love uh, listening to you and reading you. So, hey, come back again. You know, your home is my home. Okay. Always. Anytime, Michael. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right. Hey, check it out. Ben Simmons, listen to his mansion. It's for sale. It's, it's only $5 million. Only $5 million. Now, I don't know if y'all are interested. This is what I would say. $5 million, I want to know how much land that is. 
I, I want to know if I can get the furniture with it. I'm just trying to make a deal here. I'm going to talk him down a little bit. I don't like the bathroom. But, hey, can we go back to that bathroom picture? What the hell's going on there? Is that graffiti? Is that graffiti? Is that graffiti wallpaper? What is that? In the bathroom. What's that in the bathroom? <laughs> Are you serious? No, we got to change up the bathroom. So I'm taking, I'm, I'm going to nickel and dime them. I'm going to try to take advantage of them. Um, is this a seller's market or a buyer's market? I think it's a buyer's market right now. I think we're post-bubble. Um, that's horrible. So I want to keep the furniture. I can get rid of all the stuff like that. And I want to come in offering Brandon Newman. I want to come in offering 475. 475. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 475. Is, is, that, is that a respectful? Maybe, maybe 465 because he's got to get out. He's got to get out. He can't hold on. He wants to get rid of this. And he's not getting paid right now, so he needs some money. <laughs> he needs some money. He's out, he also has his uh, penthouse at the Ritz. His penthouse at the Ritz Carlton, three million dollars, oh, yeah. is also up for sale. So you gotta think. So lifestyle, lifestyle is here. Income is here. You gotta make a decision. Brandon Newman is our social media coordinator. He does a fantastic job, and so we got a, a special Ben Simmons edition of the comment section. So people are talking about this thing, right? What, what, what do they have to say about Ben Simmons? And his fight with the Sixers. Everyone is talking about Ben Simmons. Uh, Jason Kelsey recently said, "Hey, if you come and play, the city will love you. You just gotta, you just gotta come and ball out and, and keep it moving." But obviously, after he was suspended on Monday, a lot of people had a lot of things to say on our YouTube clip uh, about Ben Simmons. Over sixteen thousand views, over three hundred comments. Let's start off with this wow. one uh, from Byron Mims. Ben will be a total liability on any other team with serious championship aspirations. 20, 30 years ago, like Shaq said, he would have gotten his beat ass kicked uh, until we try to take the side of the athlete being a former athlete. However, Ben is a bum bleep athlete, pure and simple. Michael Smith Excuse just me. made it plain. Holly's wrong again. Okay, listen, I'm wrong. Sure, I'm wrong. I'm wrong yeah. a lot. But... What is getting his ass kicked have to do with anything? Okay, like tw- twenty to thirty True. years ago. Uh, okay, what, what, what does that have to do with True. anything? Nothing. And it's funny. It, 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 it's funny. We talk about it. this guy is not a bum. This is an all-star, all NBA level player. That's yes. why Philadelphia hasn't just moved on from him. Um, and I, I don't know. I think he could still be. I'll answer the question that Doc Rivers struggled with after that game seven loss to Atlanta. Can Ben Simmons be a championship point guard? Oh, there we go. Bring your kid to work. Right, listen, hey, when you said man, it, when you can, saw it, can, <laughs> say hi, I Carter. love it. Say hey, hi. say hi to Michael Carter. You're not gonna say hi. You want to say hi, Carter? Yes Little or kiss? no? No. Can Ben Simmons be a championship point guard? The answer is yes, right, Carter? Carter, yes, no. Ben Simmons. When you when What's you mentioned up, it earlier in the show, I had to I had to bring I had to bring Carter in. He's fresh out of off the bake here, but this is daddy at work. Okay, okay, we can go. We're talking about Ben Simmons. You know, uh, no, no, keep him. Well keep him. I want to. Be, oh, come on. Okay. Where are you going? 
Where are you going? He's going off. He's going off. He got stuff to do. He got things to do. We got more comments. Yeah, bring him back. How about tomorrow? Okay. Can you bring him back tomorrow? I'm actually going to be in Atlanta for a bachelor party tomorrow, but we'll we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, More vitriol coming your way. Jay Marr said, the money is not bothering him. He literally came back after one fine. It shows he's solely driven by what basketball can provide to him instead of what he can provide to the game of basketball. Hence, why he hasn't developed, developed a lick his rookie year. Now, I love this comment because I was so disappointed in Ben Simmons at LSU the declining to go to NIT, he was showing signs of this from the very get-go, Michael. Well, Mike, uh, uh, I was about to call you Mike. Well, Brandon. <laughs> um, it's not just Ben Simmons who has turned down postseason games. It, like, it's a trend now. He was ahead of his time. You know, a lot of top athletes do this. They won't go True. to bowl games because they don't want to get themselves hurt. But I will say the money thing, and, and Jamar, thank you for writing. Um, the money thing is confusing to me, Brandon. Help me understand it. I thought Ben Simmons was coming back because he didn't want to be fine. But once he came back, he didn't want to do nothing even though he got back. And he's still losing money. So if you can lose money at home, why do you travel to a place you don't want to be to lose money? I don't get mm. that part. So the money clearly is not bothering us. Let me say it this way. It's not bothering him enough because the money would bother me. That's fair. If I didn't like work with you, Brandon and Gary and Courtney and Chica and Michael, if I, I, you know, everybody, Kaylee, if I didn't like working with y'all, but I was losing money, I'm coming to work. (laughs) I'm coming to work anyway. Uh, Y'all ain't taking my money. This is from a beat writer for NBC out in Philly, Harrison Sanford. This is just tweeted out. He said, if I can trade, this is from Daryl Murray. If I can trade Ben Simmons for a difference maker, we'll do it. He, he said fans should be prepared to buckle in for a very long time because right now he can only been for role players. Well, okay. Uh, I don't know about that. No, okay. I don't know about role players. Do you think, let me, let me ask you real quick, real quick, because we've got about a minute left. Do you think CJ McCollum is a better player than Ben Simmons? I know he's a better Absolutely. shooter. You think he's a better player? Absolutely. Ooh. Yes. Ooh, wow. Okay. Because a player okay, is on well, a team. And, and, a player is on a team. I, I just, okay, I disagree, but fine. But my point is, you can get CJ McCollum and a first round pick. Do it. Just move on. Just do it already. I love the drama, but for y'all's sake, just do it. What's up with that bathroom, Brandon? That bathroom is a disgrace. <laughs> it's art. Ben Simmons, I res- I respect your game. I hate your bathroom, though. I hate your bathroom. I hate it. <laughs> Brandon, you got to come back tomorrow. Bring Carter back. Take y'all, take y'all kids to work. <laughs> The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.